everybody, I'm Steve Weens, and this is my podcast where I explore humanity, spirituality, and mystery one word at a time. For more about my work, my writing, my books, my preaching, and all that good stuff, head on over to steveweens.com. Hey friends, welcome to episode 64. The word this week is scapegoat. So today I want to talk about this ancient idea, scapegoating. It's actually thousands of years old, and it started out as a merciful idea. But like many ideas, it got co-opted and has become the opposite of merciful. So let's talk about the human tendency to scapegoat when you feel afraid, when you feel angry, when something happens, a cataclysmic event, or something very, very small, and it makes you feel unsettled, angry, afraid, your values have just gotten trampled on, you just gotten trampled on, and the tendency is to pile all of your anger, blame, confusion, and condemnation onto one person, or maybe a group of people, supposing that by doing so you can perhaps solve the problem by expelling that one person or group of people from the community or situation or society or whatever. And you believe somewhere in the deep, dark recesses of your soul that this scapegoating, this this throwing that person or group of people out of the community or camp or society, that your problems will be solved. So in doing so, I want to talk about the difference between protest and scapegoating. I want to talk about the difference between discernment and judgment. And then finally, the difference between peace and quiet. But first, I want to go to the uh, to scapegoating in the scriptures. So it's found actually in the scintillating book of Leviticus, starting in chapter 16, verse 6. Uh, We read about it. Aaron, that was Moses' brother, the priest, was to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and for his household. And the context here is this is the great day of atonement. Once a year, when the children of Israel would gather to atone for their sins. Verse 7, Aaron is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of meeting of the tent of meeting. He's to cast lots for the two goats. So these two goats come in. They don't know which one of them is going to be the good one and which one of them is going to be the bad one. But he casts lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by a lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it out into the wilderness as a scapegoat. If you go down to verse 20, when Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar uh, with the dead goat, with the goat he sacrificed, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and all the rebellion of the Israelites, all of their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. Interesting. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place. And the man shall release it in the wilderness. So fascinating. The word scapegoat, 
Azazel in the Hebrew, and it means strong and going away. It's these two words put together that essentially mean the going away of the strong. And so what you had here is you had a way for a whole community of people to symbolically repent, confess their sins, their wickedness, the ways in which they rebelled against God, all the ways in which they harmed each other, the ways in which they mistreated each other. And as a community, uh, had to have this, this ritual sign and symbol of the ability to repent and change. There is an ability for you to um, not have to carry all of your sin, but you can actually put it onto this goat and send it, all the strong, all the strong feelings, all the strong, powerful, and really sometimes really uh, destructive sins can be symbolically placed on this goat, and the goat would then walk away into the wilderness, presumably to die. It's a somber personal accounting of communal sin and personal sin, of what's gone wrong in yourself and in your community. And there's every indication that the people of God took this very seriously. And I don't think anyone had any, I mean, these were smart people. I don't, I mean, even though it was, the collective consciousness was very tribal and the gods were punitive. And so there was probably this sort of mysterious understanding about how this worked. But I think most people understood that nothing magical, like, like your sins, you know, like, like the goat didn't, actually become a sinner (laughs) but they understood that somehow in some way the god that they followed forgave them and put the sin onto the scapegoat so that they could all as a community walk away from that day of atonement clean it was powerful a powerful moment but today we use scapegoating in a very different way We feel the communal sin. We feel the communal ways in which we've hurt each other. And people don't necessarily name it that way, though some people do. But imagine a society that was just seething in pain. A society that was angry. A society that was divided. (laughs) Are you tracking? A society that was confused and fearful A society that felt like their voices weren't heard. A society that felt like uh, the system was corrupt and it was never going to change. So we would pile all of our blame upon a person or maybe a group of people without the personal reflection of personal wrongdoing or personal accountability. And these people, we would act as if 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 we could somehow remove this scapegoat, this person or group of people that we have piled all of our anger, blame, sadness, rage on, then it would bring about change. See, this judgmental action is what it is actually that only brings about more judgment. Now let's take a look at this, okay? So obviously I'm talking a bit about the presidential election in these United States of America. There's actually a whole lot of scapegoating that's happening. Some people are scapegoating uh, Trump himself, acting as if 
it, I mean, if we could magically send the scapegoat out of camp, I mean, if we could find a way for Harry to catch the snitch and, and that we would win at the final moment and Trump would somehow not be president anymore, then this collective cheer would go up from half of the, the country and all the racism, all the hate, and all the future bad things that potentially would happen would go away. Now, here's the deal. Vote for Trump. Don't vote for Trump. Vote for someone else. Vote for Clinton. Um, you got to understand that as angry as some of us feel and every right to feel it. Oh, my goodness. We've never seen anything like this happen before. Lots of fear. But to the degree that we buy into the scapegoating phenomenon without personal and communal reflection. See, here's, the, here's when scapegoating works. I mean, here's how scapegoating actually would work. Is if you had a community of people that collectively said, this is what we have done wrong as a people, and this is what we have done wrong individually. And we are now sending a symbolic person to carry all of our wrongdoing outside of the camp, then scapegoating would, would actually work because it would bring people together symbolically and in a very real way. But sending a scapegoat, quote unquote, into exile, into the wilderness without the corresponding atonement without the corresponding communal lament and repenting, only will inflame the other side and you will get another scapegoat without any further repentance or change. Some people scapegoated Clinton this whole time. She's a liar. She's a crook. She is the reason why we're in such a mess and the rest of the Democratic Party with uh, the Affordable Care Act, which didn't work, and eight years of uh, no jobs for the working class, and which, by the way, you have to listen to. Whatever else this election says, and it says a whole lot of things, there's a cry that came out of primarily the rural working class. And are some of those people white supremacists? Probably. Certainly. Are all of them white supremacists? Probably not, gang. I mean, this is scapegoating thinking that, you know, all those millions of people that voted for Trump, every single one of them is a racist, a white supremacist, a bigot. That, that's scapegoating thinking. Muslims have been scapegoated for a long time here in the United States. Immigrants are being scapegoated. Uneducated rural people are being scapegoated. Smug elite Democrats are being scapegoated. The LGBTQ plus community are being scapegoated. And white evangelicals are being scapegoated. There are so many people and groups of people that we are trying in our fear, rage, anger, and confusion we are our, our, our thinking actually is reverting back to this simple-minded collective conscious that if we just piled everything on one person and expelled them, then everything would be okay. But as you hear that, 
um, you realize that so much more would be necessary for things to be okay. And that things wouldn't magically be okay if the person you feel like stands against everything that you stand for just by getting rid of them. That's not the way change works. And you know that intuitively. Now I want to say it's really, really okay to feel rage, anger, confusion, sadness, to express those things. You have to express those things. And people that are expressing those things, let's give them a break. They're not going to figure out how to do that with complete maturity. And if it would have gone the other way, we would have had just the same lament, the same rage, the same. But it, it really, like you say, no, no, it's not. It's My values are totally different than other people's values. It wouldn't be the same rage. It'd be it'd be impure rage and like listen to that and I can say that because I've been there the tendency to think that your rage is somehow more principled than someone else's rage is a, is this the same old sim, simple-minded scapegoating thinking so if you're still with me I want to talk about the difference between protest and scapegoating because the next question is well what do you do when you genuinely do don't think someone is fit to be president or someone is fit to lead this or that or someone is fit. What do you do? What do you do when you when your feelings of anger and sadness and pain and loss have gotten to the point where you feel like the system really doesn't work and you want to do something differently? Well, that's where protest comes in. And protest, when it's good, and it's not always good, but when it's good and healthy, it's a peaceful demonstration uh, that's an, an announcement that the system isn't working and we can no longer participate in it. Actually, the vote is the supreme form of protest. And we saw it happening here in America. Whoever you voted for, the shocking, like never heard of before election of a uh, billionaire tycoon that was a reality TV star is a protest. People cast their vote and thereby protested. They protested the system that wasn't working for them. Now, you don't have to agree with that. You don't have to agree with their system. You don't have to agree with their rationale for why they thought the system wasn't working, but that's what happened. And now you're seeing millions of people protesting the election. Millions of people saying, not my president. Now, some of this some of this protest is not good. When it gets violent and when it just turns into another form of scapegoating, it's not good. But there are ways to say, I'm I am I do I cannot I cannot just stand by and continue to act as if I'm supporting a system that I think isn't working. So the difference between protest and scapegoating, that was protest, peaceful demonstration, saying the system isn't working, we can no longer participate in it as it is, is actually one of the greatest forms of democracy. It's it's what we need in order to make things make things work uh, and change when they need to. Scapegoating is demanding the removal and piling all the blame onto one person or group of people, and that's short-sighted and, and, and simplistic thinking. So let's talk about the difference between discernment and judgment. Discernment is seeking a, a, a voice that is united with wisdom where there is confusion. 
It's a group of people coming around together saying, I don't know what to do. We need to get the collective wisdom here of other people that are like us and not like us. We need to come together and listen. We need to come together and understand what's really going on. We need to understand what this great cry for change really was and where in the system that it's broken. Discernment says we don't believe that one radical election is going to change everything. But it's a coming together to listen, to get quiet, and to move forward with wisdom. Judgment, on the other hand, is deciding who's in and who's right and deciding who's out and who's wrong on the basis of criteria where you're the only one that gets to decide what the what the parameters are. Where you're on the inside and other people are on the outside and you're going to say without any conversation or listening that you're obviously right and they're obviously wrong and something else needs to happen yesterday. That's actually judgment. And um, I would argue discernment is a much better road. It takes longer. Uh, It means you have to listen. It means the voice of wisdom needs to prevail instead of maybe your agenda. Um, Because your agenda, discernment presupposes that you believe your agenda and your opinion might not hold every single ounce of wisdom that there is to have in the world on this particular issue. So let's talk about the difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping peacemaking is the courageous bold walking into situations of conflict and holding the tension and listening to both sides and doing work so that peace will happen i love what peter rollins says and he says that war is actually the absence of conflict war is what happens when you can no longer have good conflict and you just have to kill each other. That happens country by country. It also happens person by person. Conflict uh, is when you say what really is and you say this cannot go on any longer and we're going to have to stay in the tension of this conflict until we see a solution forward. That's peacemaking. Peacemaking is courageous. Peacemaking is, I believe, the call of anyone who... Um, calls himself a Jesus follower is to stand in the tension to stand in the middle to sometimes um, forego what you want in order for real peace to happen peacekeeping is uh, saying that everything's going to be okay Uh, peacekeeping is withdrawing from the conflict Peacekeeping is trying to play down the real issues that are happening. Oh, it's not really that bad. If you only just saw it differently. Uh, Peacekeeping is um, trying to pretend that the conflict isn't really that bad or doesn't exist. Peacekeeping uh, doesn't really help the problem. It might help it temporarily. Uh, But peacekeeping is is primarily, um, it's, it's an option. Uh, that if you, if, if you don't want to go to scapegoating, but it really, it really just delays the scapegoating. It, 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 it delays the war that happens eventually when conflict isn't weighted into and really... Um, so, so, gang, uh, here, here's, here's how I want to end. 
I want to end, I, I end, and this is crazy. I mean, this is just nuts because I have no idea who will do this, if anyone will do this. But here's what I want to say. I want to do this. I want to do this. So I want to end by it with a confession and then a call for a communal repentance. <laughs> I mean, what am I doing? But here's the confession. I have thought and acted as if certain people and certain groups of people are the entire problem. And I have talked, um, not publicly, but with myself and with friends, as if if we just got rid of X and Y, this idea, this group of people, this person, then I think we might have some hope. And I want to... Um, I want to I want you to imagine as hard as it is who is the person or group of people that it feels like you've lost the ability even to do conflict with and you just kind of want to quote unquote I, I hope we're not like I hope this is metaphor here gang but quote unquote you can't do conflict anymore you just want to scapegoat them you just want to kill them you just want to send them out of the camp you just want to get rid of them you just you 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 think there's there's no possible way forward in this so you you are you are scapegoating them and you are working to get rid of them uh, picture that person that group of people in your mind and this is when confession comes in it's the day of atonement Picture yourself and the children of Israel all gathered together. There it is. And instead of scapegoating, have an honest, I know that that's not how change happens. Say to yourself, I know in my heart that blaming people and scapegoating people only leads to the point where we have where it's war where conflict is no longer possible and we have to either get kicked out of the camp or kick someone else out of camp and say that way of thinking is counterproductive and i don't want you to feel too bad about that way of thinking like i think when cataclysmic events happen you're 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 gonna think that way uh, and when the pain has been so long you're gonna think that way but at the end of the day what I'm calling for is a confession that says that way of thinking ultimately will poison me, put me in prison, and will poison someone else and put them in prison. And at the end of the day, you'll have um, only more brokenness. That's the confession. So think of the person in your mind. I don't know. Maybe it's Trump. Maybe it's Clinton. Maybe it's white evangelicals. Maybe it's Muslims. Maybe it's immigrants. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's someone that works with you. Maybe it's someone that works for you. Maybe it's someone in your family. Uh, maybe it's yourself. I know that sounds so weird, but you've come to a place where you're so uh, wrecked with guilt that you just, you just, you just want to kick yourself out. So that's the confession. And then here's the vision. What if you noticed when you were scapegoating people? And what if you said, okay, to yourself, what if you breathed in and breathed out and said, this is not the way it works. Where do I need to wade in and do some honest protest, some healthy protest? 
about what I think isn't right. Maybe it's a conversation you have to have with someone. Uh, Or maybe it's some discernment that you need to do. You need to gather a group of people together and say, here's the issue. I don't have all the wisdom contained in my mind or heart in order to deal with this. I need to listen and I need to speak. But a group of us are going to decide instead of judgment. So that's discernment versus judgment. Or what is the way in which you need to walk into a tense situation and, and do some peacemaking? instead of relying on peacekeepers or trying to be a peacekeeper yourself. What if you, now, yes, the country, there are so many things wrong. There's so many things that need to change. Oh my gosh. But what if you started with you and it started with day of atonement stuff? I confess I've scapegoated someone or a group of people and I'm not gonna do it anymore. Instead, I'm gonna do some healthy protest or some healthy discernment, or some healthy peace-making. And that, my friends, honestly, is how I think we, we, will make it through this mess. So that's all I got. That's all I got. Uh, I'm so glad we're in it together, friends, that we can have tough conversations like this. And we are dust and breath. We're limited and limitless. We are human and holy. And we are in it together. See you next week, gang.